Hi, friends. Welcome to Self-Care and Soul Care for the Caregiver. I'm your host, Sandra Peoples, and this is episode 49, and I am joined by my real friend, not just my internet friend, (laughs) my real friend, Diane Doko Kim, and I am so excited to have her here today because we are talking about navigating complicated relationships especially within our families and especially as we head into this holiday season. And so Diane has so much wisdom to share on this that we actually started talking about this episode a couple of months ago because I knew she would be the perfect person to have on and talk through a topic that applies at the holidays, applies, as she and I said before, to the political stress that we may be feeling, to any kind of family stress that you're feeling right now. Diane's wisdom will be such an encouragement as we navigate these tough relationships because we love these people and we want to love them well and we want to have good relationships with them. And so we need to learn how to overcome some of the stress and the tension and all of that so we can live at peace with each other. So I'm super excited to have Diane here. I do want to mention before Diane and I jump in that today's episode is sponsored by Rising Above Ministries. They are having an online conference for special needs dads this Friday, November 20th. And so I'm going to tell you all about it at the end of the episode. So make sure you listen all the way to the end so that you can invite the man in your life to attend this special event just for special needs dads from Rising Above Ministries. Okay, Diane, I am so excited to chat with you today. So why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself. So Sandra, as I have gotten to know you in the last handful of years, you know, you and I joke, I feel like you're my sister from another mister. There are so (laughs) many parallels in our life. We're both uh, moms of young men with autism and a sibling, a typically developing sibling for the most part. Um, we're both, we've both been in local church ministry for a long time. We're both authors and speakers and disability ministry consultants. Um, so I joke that you are my, my white Southern friend. Um, <laughs> that, that's like the, the white Southern version of Diane, cause I'm Asian American, I'm in California. And we share so many of the same philosophies and approaches and convictions that, um, you know, just like you said, we started off as internet friends ended up being ministry colleagues, fellow authors and speakers, traveling the same circuits. Um, and now I call you dear friend and my SOS text, text, texting buddy when, you know, stuff happens. And I, and I just need somebody who understands you're the person I reach out to. Yeah. And I know that you can't tell how tall we are when you can only hear our voices. But one of my favorite things is when Diane and I take a picture together, I don't have to stand on my tiptoes because we're even like the same height. <laughs> we have to share that picture that we took when yes. we first met, when we were both shocked at how diminutive each other were. I, I know, I know. I actually met somebody new this week at a conference, and the first thing she says to me is, I didn't know you were so short. And I said, well, yes, I look much taller on Zoom, you know. You do, you do. You loom large. You have a large, <laughs> lar- largesse of spirit. So I was surprised when you yeah. were petite. That's so funny. That's so funny. No, I do love the time that we usually get to spend together at conferences. And it's been a a sad year not being able to see each other in person. But I do, I mean, our relationship has continued to grow through texting and being able to see each other's faces on things like today. And so I am super excited to 
just learn more from you as we talk about navigating family relationships. I, this year, Lee, my husband Lee and I were even talking earlier, like, who are we going to see this year and who's tra We aren't traveling, but some people, you know, my sister may travel to see us and we'll see my parents, but we won't see Lee's parents. So it's just such a different year. And that can bring extra stress. I mean, there's stress when you see each other, there's stress when you don't see each other. And um, so this is just an important time for us to just kind of focus on what the Bible teaches about family relationships and getting along and um, the lessons that you've learned as you have gone through this with extended family members. And there's such a difference between and, and, you know, I was a special needs sibling. And so there were times growing up that I felt like I wasn't getting as much attention as my sister got. Well, that continues even to adulthood. We're kind of the family <laughs> within the extended family that other people have to navigate around and make concessions for. And, and so we're still learning to do this even as adults. And so we're going to talk through some of your experiences on that and just some ways that you guys have overcome challenges and just what God has done in the relationships in your family and what a success story that is and what an encouragement that will be to listeners today. And I think Sandra, success, um, it's funny. You positioned as a success and I give all glory to God because I am a person who's screwed up a lot in terms <laughs> of my relationships. And you know, the baseline for our whole conversation today is as special needs families, there is so much room for us to be hurt and wounded um, and misunderstood and misunderstand people who are the nearest and dearest to us. And so our closest friends, our family and our extended family, the people who are the closest in our concentric circles, whom we trust and would lean on most, but there's so much room. And I know everybody who's a special needs parent, you know, from day one or at least day two, who's got a story where this person said something or did something, or maybe they didn't say something or they didn't do something that we were expecting. And there is just such a minefield and potential for so much hurt, um, which is a tragedy because these are the people that are the nearest and dearest and that we need and should uh, be doing life for the long haul with. So I'm hoping um, through some of the stories that we can share together of mistakes and, but the way that God has redeemed and repurposed those mistakes into blessings, relational blessings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love that. It's a story of hope and it's a story of healing and it's a story of God working in our families to produce, to get us to the place where we are now, which is a healthier place. And that doesn't mean we, we aren't still facing challenges. <laughs> and that oh, no. doesn't mean that this year isn't going to be, easy peasy, but it does mean that there are hard conversations that we've had with people that we love yeah. and that that has led to healing in our families. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. So tell us a little bit about your extended family and some of the, um, even maybe around diagnosis time. I mean, what is kind of the history of the challenges that you've had with some family members? Right. I think, you know, for all of us, when we first get the diagnosis as a special needs family, I mean, there's obviously a season of, you know, surprise and shock and trauma and grief. And you're dealing with so much, even within your nuclear family, even within yourself, right? And naturally, we look to, again, our closest concentric circles, our, our siblings, aunts and uncles and parents and in-laws to be a source of help and support. And of course, they're the ones that are most motivated, invested in our lives to want to be that. But how do things go sideways, right? 
that's the tragedy. And I, I remember um, the first year that we were struggling to get Jeremy diagnosed. So he is now 18 years old and he uh, was diagnosed with autism back in 2004 when he was two and a half years old. Now, since then, we've add, added subsequent other mm -hmm. uh, diagnoses to make things you know, really exciting. <laughs> right. But this was back in 2004. And we, you know, the diagnostic process was a lot different. And we were just kind of, you know, doing this, feeling our way in the dark. It wasn't very clear. And there was one particular professional who was world renowned at Stanford University, which is nearby uh, as in California, but she was like $4,000. And of course, at that time, we're at the beginning of the learning curve. We don't know how to use insurance. We don't know how to maximize this, that, and the other. And so we were stuck. We knew that something was going on with Jeremy. We didn't know what to do. We needed to have him evaluated. Um, but we didn't know where to go and we had this one re reference and so, you know, word got around to our family and um, my sister-in-law uh, Now I have four sister-in-law. So I'm I actually got, you know I'm gonna be sharing a couple stories today about my sister-in-law. Now I have four sister-in-laws So, you know that that gives a little bit of anonymity, but I did seek permission to share some of these stories <laughs> So let's put a pin in this for diagnoses. Let's go back about five ten years before the diagnoses happens um, one particular sister-in-law, uh, she and I had known each other because we were at the same church since college, and we were in the same small group, and let's just say we didn't get along very well. Oh. I was a lot younger, you know, I was in college, I was super obnoxious, <laughs> got hat, you know, still had a lot of remedial work to do in my character, and yet we were in the same small group. <laughs> and, you know, at that time, she was going through a lot in her personal life, so it was just like, you know, we just did not get along, and I knew that I bothered her. And got on her nerves well fast forward about five ten years and i end up marrying her brother oh. so that was kind of awkward for a few <laughs> years yeah you know and it was super duper awkward for several years and then about a handful of years later then that's when our son was going through what he was going through so we'll come back you know to the bookmark and so we were trying to get jeremy evaluated now up until now we have like i said a super awkward relationship so my sister in law never calls me directly right she always goes yeah. through her brother who is my husband right well out of the blue one day she calls me and i recognize the number and you know i oh my god why she, why she called me directly yeah um but i picked up the phone and she told me in her kind of loving gruff way you know those folks that are really gruff on the outside but usually those are the ones that have the most tender hearts yeah. that's this sister-in-law so oh. she called me and said, hey, so I heard you're having a hard time trying to find a doctor for the assessment or evaluation. I said, yeah. And so I kind of told her what the situation was. She already knew, of course, because she talked to her brother, my husband. And she mm. said, well, I have some stuff. She you know, works in, in tech, as so many people do in our area. Yeah. She said, um, well, I've sold some stock and it's my stock and I can do whatever I want with it. And I have decided that I want to sell it. And so I have X amount of money. So I want you to spend it to get my nephew diagnosed and figure out the best way to help him. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. Click. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was so stunned and I was in just tears that after, you know, we had known each other for like 10 years, 10, 15 years at that point. Yeah. And, you know, super awkward, lots of awkward, you know, holiday gatherings and such. But the fact that God could use something like autism to bring us together and put us on the same team. And so mm -hmm. that was really a turning point in our relationship where I really saw her as being on my side, our side. And so, yeah, that's just, I just really give glory to God that he can repurpose anything, even something like a diagnosis, something like autism, and repurpose that into a blessing. So that's, you know, that's kind of the beginning of awkward, interesting stories. Yeah. Um, 
another sister-in-law that I have, again, I have four sister-in-law, so that buys us from cover of darkness. Um, another sister-in-law, we had a difficult relationship for a long time because, you know, after Jeremy had been diagnosed, um, I just felt like bottom line, she didn't care. You know, she, you know, they knew, especially in the first handful of years when everyone's, you know, we're in the thick of things and we're barely surviving and we all lived within, you know, 30 minutes of each other. So it's not like, you know, and so um, I remember just feeling so hurt. Like, why don't they reach out to us? Why don't they ask? Why don't they engage? Why don't, you know, they, they, you know, help us out more. They only live 30 minutes away. And that was really, really hurtful. And this kind of dragged on for several years and it actually started to affect other relationships. Obviously my husband felt trapped because this is his sister, yeah. um, you know, and you know, he, and this is his wife and this is affecting family gatherings and, you know, it, it just got really bad. So, and the irony is she and I are both in ministry and in leadership. So, you know, talk about that, you know, that verse about leave your gift at the altar and go yeah. reconcile with your sister-in-law before you, you know, present your you know, ministry offerings or whatnot. And so, um, so we finally got on the phone and, um, we said, we need to have a heart to heart. And, um, you know, God had been doing a work in my heart. God had been doing a work in heart. Again, this had been years in the making and we got on the phone and by the grace of God, he forced both of us to listen, mm. to listen to each other, to seek to hear before being heard. And I heard her and she shared with me that she had been going through things that had nothing to do with us. Um, you know, baggage and woundings that she had experienced in the past that really had nothing to do with us, but that affected how she engaged and interacted, not just with us, but with everybody around her. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that God had been pursuing her about. And that was kind of an aha moment for me to realize that, oh, other people have problems too. Yeah. That even though I may be a special needs parent, we're in the thick of things that I don't have the market cornered on suffering. Other people have issues and difficulties and woundings that they're working through as well. And so a lot of times, and you know, there's a, a meme that's out there. A lot of times, you know, people are working stuff, working through stuff and the way they interact with you, even if it might be hostile, actually has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And so that was really eye-opening for me. And so that was really like the turning point in our relationship as well. And over the years, she has become such an ally and a support and a help. And God has really redeemed and healed that relationship. And when my book uh, was published um, a, a couple years ago, she read it within two days. And then she jumped onto Amazon and posted this incredible, she didn't even tell us that she had posted this review. Oh. Basically the review was saying this unpacked everything for me you know, I was going through such a difficult time. I didn't know how to help. I wanted to help, but I didn't know how. I didn't want to get it wrong. I myself was going through some personal struggles, but this really gave me a window. This book gave me a window into what my brother's family was going through and really opened my eyes into ways how I could have understood better and how I could have been a better support emotionally or practically. And, um, you know, she did this as a reader, but I mean, that review meant more to me than than a hundred reviews. And that's saying a lot as authors, right? Sandra? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that because in both situations, you were vulnerable. You took a risk. And like in my family, um, I tried to be the strong one and I tried to be the, you know, like the, every, I've got it together. Everything's fine. Don't need help. And so 
when I, when I risk vulnerability, that forms connection. Mm. And that's when we get past that. That's when we realize that, you know, you realize one sister-in-law had some, her own stuff going on. Right. But you had to go first and, and y'all met together on that phone call. And then that's where, and God had been working on both of you at the same time. And so I love that sometimes we close ourselves off or we put up so many barriers and walls that it, it hinders relationships. And that's yeah. with friends, that's at church. And that can even be with family because like when I'm with my family, I feel eight and 18 and 28. And you know, like I, I feel like every version of myself that has ever existed because these people have known every version. Right. And so, and I want to still be, and in my family, my birth order, our, my older sister has down syndrome. And so I take on a lot of those older sister characteristics, but I'm really the middle. So I still have that desire for attention. Right. And then we have a younger sister and, and, um, and she reacted to life in our house growing up differently. And so there's still that, even now as adults, we still have to work at our relationship and it really starts with being vulnerable and just, I'll go first, you know, I'll share, I'll take that step toward you. And then she takes that step toward you and, and God just works in that. And so I'm so thankful that you were vulnerable and, and took those uh, steps that it took to, to start that healing process. Yeah. And honestly, if we did not, because both of these sister-in-laws, we, you know, we're all Christ followers and we we're all ministry leaders and such. If we did not take our own discipleship seriously, if we were not both submitted to the truth of God that says, you know, before you bring your ministry offerings or whatever whiz banging you might do, go and be reconciled to your sister-in-law. If we didn't take that seriously, if we did not take seriously verses in the Bible that says things like consider others better than yourself, don't think of yourself as the only victim or the only person going through hard stuff on this planet, um, you know, that's how it would apply. Um, I, I think our relationship would still be strained. And so um, it's really whatever hardships we go through is an opportunity for God to disciple us and sanctify us through the process. Yeah. Yeah. Including special needs parenting and family life. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Lee and I call uh, hard situations sanctifying sandpaper. Like it rubs away at those hard, hard edges and it doesn't feel good, but it is for a purpose. And that's why you endure through it. And so sometimes family relationships can be sanctifying sandpaper and they're rubbing and they're rubbing and it doesn't always feel comfortable, but God is, has a purpose in that. And he's making us more Christ-like as he continues to rub away at some of those, especially for me, like I, I use hard edges because I tend to, I mean, that's a little bit more who I am, a little straight laced and rule follower and those kind of things. So it's really easy for me to picture my own hard edges and then God coming in and softening those. And then it starts with honesty, vulnerability, putting other people's needs before your own, realizing that you aren't suffering more than anybody else in the whole world is suffering <laughs> on any given day. Right, right. Um, you know, Sandra, you just reminded me that, um, you know, one of our fellow heroes, heroes of the faith is Johnny Erickson Tata. Yeah. And, you know, she's blessed with sisters um, who have been, you know, champions and supporters in every way for her too. And I remember in one of her books or her talks, you know, she's written like 50 books, so I can't remember which one it is. 
but early on, you know, after, you know, she became a quadriplegic, um, one of her sisters challenged her and said, you know, you tend to be a little bit self-centered. Yes, this happened to you. And yes, you have needs. And obviously we're going to be here to help you. But you know, you tend to have a tendency to think the room revolves around you. I mean, those, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but I think it's so easy when you go through something painful or difficult to end up with a victim complex. Yeah. Um, and I know that was certainly the case for me. I know that that made me a lot more sensitive and hypersensitive and understandably so if you've gone through a traumatic situation. Um, but yeah, and I think just understanding also that, uh, yeah, I, I think the whole lesson was everybody's going through stuff and I can either choose to try to be understanding and empathetic that I'm not the only person that's going through a hard time and appreciating that there's a difference between um, intent and impact. Mm. Um, you know, that's kind of a big, you know, topic of conversation in, in today's society, impact versus intent. Um, because what I found out was, yeah, our loved ones, our friends, our family, they all, because they love us, and we love them. They want to help, but they just don't know how. And so a lot of times, you know, with one of my sister-in-laws, she backed away because she didn't want to get it wrong. She didn't want to screw it up. She didn't want to make a delicate situation worse. But for me, in my woundedness, I misinterpret that as a lack of care. Yeah. Um, you know, she doesn't care. She's too busy for us or whatever not. Um, so there's a difference between, and just, you know, allowing that people mean well, but a lot of times they don't know what to say or what to do, but I have a choice of how I respond to that. Am I going to choose? Okay. She probably meant well, <laughs> um, as opposed to in my woundedness, in my brokenness, in my place of hurt, always interpreting that as a negative thing or a slight or, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah. People mean well. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, things... Nancy Guthrie, who's another author, mm. she lost two children when they were young to a genetic thing. And she, one of the things I always come back to that she has in her book is that when you are in a wounded place, mm. it's like you've burned yourself and you keep bumping up against something. And if you yes. had burned yourself, it wouldn't hurt, right? I mean, if you, bur if you bumped the other arm, it wouldn't hurt. But because you just had a wound there, it hurts because you're bumping. And so I have to read, I, I love that illustration because I think the person is not hurting me on purpose. I, I have a, a wound, a hurt, and we're just bumping against each other. And that's what hurts. It's not an intent. You know, they're not, they're not the one wounding me. It's the wound already exists, but it's yeah. the sensitivity that is heightened in me. And that bumps up against them just being themselves, it's just interpreted, like you said, the intent and the purpose behind that and how the intent isn't to be hurtful or pull away or say the wrong thing. It's, it's just, it just happens that way when we're in a place of, of being so sensitive to words and interpretations and meanings and actions and the lack of all of those things. Right. And I think for, especially as women, I know for myself, my brain tends to go there. If I don't hear something, a response, you know, my brain goes to 50,000 negative places. Oh, she's thinking this, or this is why, yeah. you know, I, I think I'm the world's best mind reader. And I forget that 99.9% .9 of the time, my thinking is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm constantly, you know, because I fairly, I tend to be a fairly intuitive person. The flip side of that is I, I'm always ascribing malintent to somebody. 
Yeah, I get that. And I need to own that. Yeah, it is so true. And you and I even have a, um, in our relationship, I remember one time I was slow to email back to you or respond to a text or something. And you were like, oh no, I assume <laughs> that you're just momming and everything's yep. fine. So like, we don't have to apologize to each other for taking too long to text back or, you know, any kind of thing like that. And I thought that assuming the best, yes, assuming the best intent makes a big difference in, in how we show grace to each other yeah. and then how we receive that grace as yeah. well. Yeah. Sandra, you and I are both moms to um, children who are considered nonverbal or preverbal or they have limited communication skills. And one of the, I guess, mantras or things that we always say is we want folks to presume competence for their kids, for our kids, right? So, you know, if you are new to my child and you come up and we start a conversation, don't assume that my child doesn't understand. Don't address all the conversation to me. Have, you know, a talk directly to my son. And yeah. if I need to interpret or, you know, provide some prompting, I'll help. But yeah, there's a big expression, right? Please presume competence for our kids. And I think in the same way, if we want folks to presume competence for our kids, we need to reciprocate by presuming good intent on their behalf as well. Yeah. It covers a multitude, right? Mm. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of mistakes and ignorance yeah. and yeah. inadvertent slightings. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And, and we're so new. I mean, every stage we go through, I mean, I know we've got, like, I'm at a decade. This month is, is 10 years since James's diagnosis. You have even more years and, but it's still new to our family members. There's still, even when we go through new phases. And so they're learning without the benefit of the community that we're in, that we're learning from and without the, even the books we read and the people we surround ourselves with. And so you know, we, we've got to cut them some slack on saying or doing the wrong things or, exactly. or being unintentionally hurtful. So that's a great point, Sandra, because I forget that for moms like you and me, for people like me and you, we are steeped and saturated 24 seven of all things, special needs and autism interventions and insurance. And, you know, we are varsity this. Yeah. Yeah. We are collegiate, we are PhD level of this particular specialty. Yeah. And I forget that I'm the anomaly and the rest of the world has no idea the world that I live in. Yeah. So, but I get so easily offended, like, oh, how can you not know this? This is so basic. This is common courtesy. Right. It's, well, they've never been in my exact shoes yeah. and no one is a mind reader. And I get into trouble when I assume everybody should be a mind reader. They didn't read you know, the manual, the tome of how to help Jeremy Kim, um, you know, only God has, has knows that, you know, chapter and verse. Yeah. And maybe number two would be me because I'm his mother, yeah. but no one else has read that encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> no one has read that Wikipedia page that goes forever. So I get in trouble when I get offended that people don't do things exactly the way I would do it. Right. Yeah. That's a trust issue for us too. I mean, we have to, to lead in that and to be patient and to take a little bit of that responsibility on and say, I want you to be part of our lives. What questions do you have that I yeah. can answer? What, what is confusing or scary to you about the way our family operates or the needs that James has or all of those kind of things? Like, how can I lead and begin with honesty 
to make everybody kind of relax instead of holding them to the standard. And you said a word that my therapist and I talk about a lot, should. They mm. should know or they right. should because you and I do. And so mm. other people should. And, and that word, she, she reminds me, okay, should equals judgment. You are judging mm. this situation by your standard. And this, that should is a, a word that I have to listen out for in my mm. mind and in what I'm saying to say, okay, oh, that's a red flag to me that I need to take a step back evaluate what's going on and and really see it with more empathy and understanding and maybe take the lead on these hard conversations yeah. because should is just setting you up with expectations that may not get met which yeah. then leads to hurt mm-hmm. Sandra so far we started off kind of I feel like we kind of started off on the deep end in terms of understanding where the other people are coming from, right? Because I think our instinct is we want to be understood and we want them, if anything, to understand how they've wronged us, right? And we have been talking off, again, I feel like we started off the deep end with understanding their intent and ascribing good intentions to what they meant as opposed to how it ended up landing on us. And I can already, like if I were the Diane mom from 18 years ago, when I was in the thick of it and when I was most tender and most feeling wronged (laughs) by life, by friends, by family, by everybody. Um, If I were to hear a message like this, I would deep down go, okay, the the Christian side of me says, yes, I know it's true. And I know discipleship and all of that. But deep down, the human part of me says, why do I have to be the bigger person? I'm the person that's going through something. Shouldn't they be more understanding? And yeah, everybody's going through difficult things, but this is called special needs for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> this is really special. This is especially difficult. And, you know, we've been talking about that. And I think um, the que- it kind of begs the question to me of this is not fair. What I have to deal with is already not fair. Why do I have to be the bigger person? Yeah, other people are going through difficult things, but that doesn't compare to what I'm going through. And I myself had to work through that like big time. Like God and I had to do a lot of business together on that. Um, the issue of not fair. Why do I get this? Why did they get that? And on top of that, why do I have to be the bigger person and understand and be empathetic and appreciate that they're going through hard stuff too? And so I just wanted to share um, how God answered that for me. Um, in the special needs community and the special ed community, all of us as special needs parents, we know what an IEP is, right? We know what an IEP is. And I was reading through Genesis 32, the account of Jacob wrestling with God, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all familiar with that chapter. And that, that's when God dropped on me that God has a spiritual IEP for each of us too. God has a spiritual IEP. And all of us as special ed parents who have an IEP, when we look at our child's accommodations, we would say, oh yes, absolutely my child is justified in getting this support or this accommodation. And I don't think that there's a reasonable, typical general ed parent out there that would begrudge me that my child gets a bus ride and their child doesn't, right? If they did, that's a whole nother conversation we'd be having. Yeah. (laughs) And so just like us, the IEP team at school and us as parents, we wrestle every year to figure out what's the best set of circumstances and accommodation supports for this child based on their challenges and strengths and whatnot. God does the same thing with each of us as his children. He allows certain challenges. He also knows when to swoop in as the best one-on-one shadow aid. He knows when to give support and encourage and he knows when to back off and say, no, 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 this is just a matter of stretching. And I know you've got this and I know you can do it. And so God has the same spiritual IEP for each of us. So um, yeah, that's how I make peace with that, that God 
in his sovereignty and in his province, he knows exactly the challenges, um, how much amount of stretching that I can take without breaking. Um, and the stretching that's going to make me depend on him and his grace and his provision. So yeah, why do I have to suck it up? Why do I have to be the bigger person? Because God is working in me and on me through the situation. So yeah, it, what we have is hard. It's, le it's legitimately hard. Yeah. Um, and yes, other people are going through things too, but I just have to trust that their IEP looks different than mine, but yeah. God is in control and he has written each of our IEPs perfectly. Man, what yeah. God is doing with such purpose yeah. that I love, you know, you're talking about that IEP. There's we, how many meetings do we sit through sometimes to get those ideas right because we have a purpose yeah. and God has that purpose in our lives that, and he can see from beginning to end and perfectly with even more wisdom than we have when we sit down at the IEP table for our kids. And so you just have to trust that his ways are higher than our ways <laughs> and that he understands things we don't see and that if we're going through them, they're for a purpose and for our good. So yeah. So we were talking about appreciating people's intent and their motivations in their heart, even though the end result may land a little bit differently on this end, right? And I think it's also important to appreciate that everybody has different love languages, yeah. right? In the way that they express love versus the way that we like to receive it. And if this is a new concept for you, uh, there's a great book about the love language. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Jolene Philo has a great book and she was a guest uh, two months ago, I was just looking at it and she talked about it and man, I mean, it, it really changes families and her book is specific to special needs families. And that's what, it's such a gift to us to understand how it applies to even families like ours. Right. And so just, I think real quick, if I can remember off the top of my head, there's five different love languages, right? One is, uh, acts of service. The other one is gifts. The third one is quality time, special quality time together. Fourth is words of affirmation. And fifth is physical touch. Yeah. Right? Okay. I'm a huge fan of, of this book. And so um, there is so much demystifying and hurt that can be absolved when you recognize that somebody is giving, but it might be different in the way that you would prefer to perceive that love language. And this has been, the concept of the love languages has been so revolutionary for me because everybody has different gifts. They're constantly giving, but I might be completely either missing it or even misinterpreting it. Yeah. Um, if it's not coming across the way I expect or um, in, according to my understanding. And so, um, you know, and I think I've learned to appreciate over the years that everybody gives differently and just be grateful for what does come and not get upset because that person might not be giving something or expressing their love in a way that I require they're not, that they're not set up for. Yeah. And so rather than getting, you know, begrudged, I think I've learned to appreciate and recognize, Oh, this person tends to give us this, this person tends to, you know, express their love in this way and really seeking the positive. And I think I've even learned with one of uh, my family members that their greatest gift to us is they give us space. <laughs> that is nice. They give us space. They don't meddle. And this is in, you know, my pretty immediate um, you know, extended family where they are in a position where they could be meddlesome and they could be telling us what to do and what not to do. And I do have other family members that do that, mm -hmm. but this family member doesn't, this family member really gives us space and just, you know, whenever they hear from us, it's great. It's positive. Um, 
They don't meddle. They don't tell us how to live our lives. And honestly, I actually really appreciate that because again, I do have other family members who, you know, nagging is their love language because they're so invested because they want to see the right things done. So just training my brain to recognize that everybody loves in different ways and just appreciate the ways they do come um, to save myself the heartache of um, expecting something that I didn't get or in the way that I wanted. Yeah, that's so true. And we see this as we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Some people's love language is gifts. That's Mm -hmm. one of the five you mentioned. And so if mine isn't, I could say, well, this person doesn't encourage us all year long. And then they just, they just buy 15 gifts for my child that, you know, and I have to stop and think that is how this family member is able to express love. And so I need to be thankful for that instead of holding them to this standard that they, in a way that they can express it. And a lot of times it is like, I mean, I don't want to be stereotypical of men who are on the quieter side, but if you, if you're really looking for words of affirmation from somebody who just can't give words of affirmation, you have to adjust that expectation and, and really say, no, these gifts that they're giving my child that they took time to think about and shop for and think, Mm -hmm. oh, he's really going to love this. That shows just as much love as, uh, you know, an hour long conversation asking all kinds of questions about how they're doing. It's just a different way to express that. So that's really, that's a good reminder to me, especially thinking back to that word should, they Mm. should do this and they should do that. and, Mm. And that's not, how they are able to express it. And so, right. right. So I wanted to jump in, zero in on that word should, that operative word should, what should people do? What shouldn't they do, you know, do or say, right. And what we have in our minds is usually different from somebody else. Multiply that by all the people that you know and have in your life, right. That's a whole lot of versions of what should or shouldn't be done or said. Right. And so because families like me, parents like me have navigated so much hurt space and territory uh, in this realm of unmet expectations. And because you and I both minister to families like ours, special needs families, and I've heard so many of these same stories over and over again, right? And so I started thinking, how do we fix this, right? And so again, everybody, you know, assuming that they're normal, reasonable, loving, caring people, they want to help, but they don't know how. They want to say the right thing, but they don't know what. And so um, what I came up with with my team is what's called a help wish list, a help wish list. Because again, you've got folks, and I'm going to call them first responders, um, you know, our immediate concentric circle, who would be the first that we would call on, and they themselves are going to be the first ones that want to help. First responders want to help, but they don't know how. Meanwhile, us, especially Sandra, if someone asks you, is there any way that I can help or do you need any help? Don't you already have like a, you know, two billion and one things in your head, right? But how easy is it to actually say that? It's so hard for us to ask or acknowledge that we need, honey, and that's a whole other podcast altogether, right? (laughs) So I, you know, we came up with this tool, this help wish list, and this is available on my website, where it acts like a, a bridal registry or a baby registry. So um, with my team, I came up with a list of kind of like the most commonly appreciated things that we could use help with that other people could help us with, um, but it's so hard for us to say. Yeah. And, so, you know, things like laundry, takeout, dinner, errands, babysitting, uh, even accompanying me to, you know, an IP meeting or giving me moral support. And so a, a list of things that people can check off 
all the different love languages that we could think of. And so we could give this, if you are a family and somebody has asked you, let me know how I can help. And you really trust them and you're willing to go for it. Share this with them, complete the list and give it to them. Now, on the other hand, if you are what I call a first responder and you are that concentric circle person and you know a family that's struggling, you can give it to them and say, I mean it. I'm not just saying, you know, I want to help. I'm going to give you this list and I expect to have it checked off and back to me within seven days because I'm in it. I'm really in it with you. This is not just lip service I'm giving you. So uh, the help wish list. And so that came up, um, you know, just, yeah, as we were navigating this of how can we improve this situation where we need help, uh, people want to help, but they don't know how. And um, as another thing is um, in chapter 18 of my book, it's about compassion. And this chapter was written because of the experiences that I actually went through with my sisters in law, mm-hmm. where there was so much misunderstanding and so much world of hurt um, and lack of communication and not ascribing good intent. And after God worked you know, in our relationships, we looked back and go, how did things go south? Yeah. How did things go south? Uh, and what are the lessons that we learned? And so chapter 18, it's about, it's actually targeted towards those first responders, our friends and our family. This is how you can come alongside uh, families who are struggling with disability. This is how you can be a first responder um, and a helpful person. So um, yeah, because let's do this differently. There are practical things that we can do to acknowledge that we need help and kind of mitigate some of this gray space where the enemy really gets in and warps our understandings of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in this COVID year, people are reaching out more often, but we're, we talk a lot on the podcast about decision fatigue and that's what Mm. somebody comes to us and says, what can I do? We are fatigued from making so many decisions and we don't have the words. And so you have done that for us Mm -hmm. so that we don't have to have the words to, to articulate because we're just, we're maxed out, right? Especially right now. And so when, when people are wanting to help us the most, that's when we're, it's the hardest for us to ask for that help and to be able to articulate specifically what would be the most helpful. And so I love that you created that and that you're sharing it with us so that we can share it with our communities and family members and, and get those needs met because they, they want to help. (laughs) They just don't know how, and then we don't know what exactly to ask for. So that's, you've taken all the hard, the hard middle out of it and, and brought it together. Do you remember that movie, Jerry Maguire, when Tom Cruise says, help me help you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. It's the help wish list. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. I love the experience that you have that says, if I need this, somebody else needs this. And so I'm going to do that and share that with the community. I mean, you do that personally in our friendship and you do it on this wide scale uh, for all kinds of families like ours, because you are just, um, I mean, why keep reinventing the wheel, right? If if Diane can invent the wheel today, I'm going to use that wheel tomorrow (laughs) instead of doing it again myself. So that is nobody is a mind reader and we set ourselves up for a world of hurt when we expect and assume people should be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I I do think, I mean, as we talk very specifically about going into this season of Thanksgiving and then Christmas, communication is so important, laying down the expectations um, and also putting up healthy boundaries. I mean, Mm. sometimes we're the family who has to say, 
I'm sorry, I can't do that. I have to prioritize my child's health, my child's mental health. We are just not in a healthy place right now. I mean, these words are okay to say to your family who loves you and just say, even if everybody else is getting together. Now, Diane and I are in very different states when it comes (laughs) to what is being restricted and allowed right now. Uh California and I am in Texas. It's about as polar as it gets right now. <laughs> it does. And so wherever you fall on that spectrum of what you're able to do over the next coming weeks, know that Diane and I, we're, we're in those places with you and we're navigating <laughs> boundaries in different ways. Yeah. And so don't, don't be afraid, friends, to just say, I'm, I'm sorry, we can't do that or we can't come or can we come up with another solution uh, to keep your family healthy and in a good place so that you can not undo some of the good that has been done this year. I mean, some of our kids are, especially our um, kids who are medically fragile. I mean, this is, we've got to really protect their health and keep all of us as healthy as possible. And so that may mean making some hard decisions, but but know that we, Diane and I, are cheering you on (laughs) in those hard decisions, and we understand how hard it is. And so, uh, as Diane has said, we talk about honesty, we talk about vulnerability, and we just talk about going first in some of these hard conversations so that you can take some of the emotion out of it and the expectations that you have and really find a middle ground and, and everybody assume the best about each other. You know, it's interesting, um, under a normal year, uh, Sandra, your family and mine, um, families like ours, we'd be having a lot of the, I'm afraid I can't come or we can't come because that doesn't work for us. Yeah. Um, we can't go to the parade. <laughs> yeah. um, my child can't, you know, participate in, you know, whether the thing might be. Um, parades are great for you, but it's not going to work for my son who has sensory issues or whatever not. Um, Ironically, now the entire world is de facto special needs in that they have to have these conversations even within their family. Just like you said, some units of the family are going to feel comfortable getting together and some are not. And, you know, we're all in different areas and we have different protocols and where we live and we're all going to be navigating these these issues. Um, So, yeah, healthy boundaries, not being afraid to say, I'm afraid that doesn't work for us Um, and not. And for me you know, making alternative plans, finding something that does work for us. And I think there's additional work for me to guard my heart so that I don't get resentful when the other folks are going to the parade, when the other folks are getting together. Again, going back to that spiritual IEP so that I can guard my heart against resentment and just acknowledge the boundary lines have fallen in maybe not always quite so pleasant places, but that God has designed a plan for us and for our family. And I need to adhere to what's going to work for our family uh, and just strive to do what's best for my child, for my family and guard my heart too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah, it is. You know, Sandra, so far we've been talking, you know, I gave you a couple examples of relationships that really, that worked out great. And, you know, I got the happy Hallmark ending, (laughs) but uh, you know, you and I will attest that for every you know, two of these great sisters-in-law stories, there are a hundred more of relationships that didn't work out or are still strained or God has led you to hold a healthy boundary and you have to just love them from afar. Mm -hmm. And that's all okay and good. And so I just want to address that, that, you know, I am not, you know, I don't even watch Hallmark movies because I'm kind of a cynical gal. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so 
um, I'm a realist. And so the reality is, yeah, a lot of times these relationships are not going to end up with a happy bow at the end. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to have to continue navigating that awkward space. Um, in those situations, at least for me, I have resolved to put those kinds of relationships in the category of what I call forgiveness school. Okay. This is forgiveness school. Yeah. Not all relationships will be resolved. You won't always get to hear, you won't get the I'm sorry, or now I understand, or now I get it, that we long and hope for. And it's so hurtful because it's not coming from the people that we counted on or expected to understand and support the most. But in those situations, if I have done my level best, again, with that one sister-in-law, where we were both being discipled by God and God's truth to submit and surrender and listen and all of those other Christ-like behaviors, if we're doing our part and we have done our due diligence, um, then these are the opportunities, again, for me to increase and flex in my forgiveness skills, for God to work on my discipleship, my sanctification, like you said, you and Lisa, sanctification sandpaper, to submit to that sandpaper, to surrender. And sometimes, you know, I think in the last 18 years, especially in these parenting, what Jesus said on the cross has never been so alive to me when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Forgive them for they know not what they say. People are coming into things. Everyone comes in from their own experience, their own knowledge base, their own generation, parenting style. But assuming that everybody means well, and they're coming from a place of concern, they may not get it right. They didn't read the manual. Um, but just, yeah, forgiving them for, they may not know the exact same things that I do. They not, may not have read all the websites and books that I read. They may not live with my child 24 seven and know what's best and why it's such a big deal that you have a certain kind of cheese and not that yeah. that can be the difference between a meltdown and not, which ruins the entire, like y'all I'm doing this for your benefit, not right. just ours. <laughs> I'm trying to save all of our Christmases, not just ours by really requiring the right cheese or not or opting out. So, um, yeah, just for those relationships, God can always redeem and repurpose anything for our good. And that's really my conviction about all things, whether it's autism, whether it's a strained relationship, if you don't get the happy ending, you, we can get discipleship through it and surrender instead. That's so true. I know. I love that you, it says that, that Jesus is so like us. He was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted, but he also knows suffering in in the ways that we know suffering. So he, he understands being misunderstood. He understands relationships that, that feel like they're beyond healing. I mean, there, there were people in Jesus's life who he said, he said, here's, here's the standard, here's the truth. And they turned and walked away from that. Yeah. And that's their choice. I mean, and, and he had to stay true to what he was teaching and sharing at that time. And so as hard as it is, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and that the Holy Spirit is working in those that we love and that he can bring around restoration in his timing. But that may mean a lot of time Mm. or it may mean in ways that, that we will never see that we may be even planting seeds for future relationships that that person has that we, we won't get to see the fruit of that, but we have to stay faithful to to caring for our family and prioritizing what our families need. And like we talked about those healthy boundaries of this is what's best for us. 
I think the baseline for this conversation is unmet expectations, right? We wanted something, a response, an engagement, a support, a help, or a reaction. Hello, a reaction from someone that we expected it from, what they should do, right? That magic word, should. Um, But I think for me, I've, one of the things, especially in life, has taught me that God has used um, to teach me is the secret to a happy life is lowered expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Is not expecting everyone should think, do, respond, step in, support, offer in the ways that I would. I shouldn't expect people to even care. <laughs> yeah. We live in a broken world. I am broken. Everyone is broken. We, we're all racked by sin. We all have baggage. We all have woundings that affect how we engage with our world today. Everybody has stories. Everybody has something that they are grappling and sludging through life with. We've all been broken. And so I set myself up for expectations when I have heavenly and divine expectations from an earthly broken planet. Yeah. And so I've kind of adjusted my thinking. And I think I really, this, this was in a, in a greater sense, when my son was diagnosed with autism, my biggest question was why, how, how could this happen to us? Like, Bottom line, aren't I entitled to blessings if I'm a Christ follower and if I'm a leader and all of that and God just completely flipped the script on what my understanding of blessing was. So I don't expect people to do things for us. I don't expect people to have read the manual. I no longer expect people to respond in the way that I would have. Um, And so if any blessing or help or support does come in whatever form, fashion, or love language it comes, I consider it bonus. Yeah. Because I know that only in heaven with Christ will everything be exactly as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what a better Christmas gift <laughs> to give other people than Grace. our expectations for them. You're off the hook. Merry Christmas. <laughs> You're off the hook from being a mind reader and knowing exactly how I would have done it or wished you had done it. Yeah. Yeah. And they may not even know what a gift it is, but we know. Exactly. And our husbands know because they, yeah. they get the brunt of... Can you believe she said this? Can you believe he didn't do that? Yeah. So it's a gift yeah. for us, yeah. for our spouses, everybody. Yeah. So you know, in um, you know that chapter in the Bible when John the Baptist is in prison, and his disciples go to Jesus and go, basically, are you going to fix this? Is this it? <laughs> are you who the one that we're expecting, or is there somebody else? Right? And the essence of that is, is this it? <laughs> yeah. Like we were expecting something else, something more. And at the core, I think that's what we all have, that same expectation. For me, you know, and I talk about this in the book, I'm expecting Jesus plus. Yeah, yeah. I'm expecting Jesus plus, that it's supposed to work out, that it's supposed to, you know, if God allows certain trials or tribulations, that he's going to fix it so that I can end up with a glorious testimony, give praise to God, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that God has worked in my life through this journey of special needs family life of really uprooting those inappropriate expectations. Diane, those expectations of perfect relationships, of perfect people, of a perfect family, of a perfect everything, of a perfect journey through this planet, you're only going to find that in heaven. Yeah. So Jesus plus really surrendering those kinds of expectations, um, you know, prosperity gospel stuff. Don't, you know. Let's not get started on that. Um, But to have divine expectations for only in heaven when we are with Christ, and that is when everything will be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Man, 
doesn't it make you long for that? I mean, I, I think we, Amen. we are eager for that in a unique way. I, I mean, yes. any family who has suffered or who um, has unmet expectations, it just makes us homesick for yes. heaven. And what really citizens of heaven. Yeah, yeah. And the perfection that we'll find and totally healed relationships and no more spiritual IEP. Because nope. No helpless. No nothing. To do. Oh, Diane, thank you so much for this sweet time that we've had today. It's an encouragement to me. It's coming at just the right time as uh, I face decisions. To, to make about what our family will do with um, the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas right around the corner uh, in such a unique year mm-hmm. and all of the things that we have to navigate. And so I am just so thankful for your wisdom and your experience and just everything that you have taught us, but, but not in a way of having arrived, but mm-hmm. as really that side-by-side kind of companion is really That's what I feel every time I talk to you. And so that is such a gift. So I end every episode with prayer. And so I would love uh, to pray today specifically for our friends who are listening who may be struggling and just that God would heal some relationships, work in their hearts. So I'm going to pray. You and I aren't done talking, um, but each week it's just really important to me that we end our time focused on God and his plan and purpose for our lives as caregivers. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your plan for our lives and how when we got a diagnosis for our child, that wasn't a surprise to you. That was exactly what you had uh, seen coming for us, what you had planned for us, and not just for us as moms, but our extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, you are working this out in all of our good and for a purpose for each one of us. And so we just ask you today to comfort those of us who are struggling with family relationships. God, we know um, how hard it can be and how hard it can feel, but we still know that you have a purpose in even hard times. We, we have lived that, not just in 2020, but in experiences that we've had over the years, God, that, that you do your best work in hard situations, God, because there's so many times we can't do anything on our own and we look to you and you are just waiting and willing to offer help and wisdom and advice and grace and you increase those in us as we love each other and serve our family members. And so I just pray for each person listening that something that Diane said today would stick with her, that that she would be able to repeat it to herself in the moments that she needs it, whether that is changing expectations or being vulnerable or remembering that you are working in their lives on that spiritual IEP, whatever it is, God, whatever situation our friends are going to face the rest of 2020 and these holidays, we know that you have a purpose and that you are fulfilling that purpose. And we are so thankful for that. And we just ask for you to continue to work out your plan in our lives and and that we would become more and more like Christ in each situation that we go through. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Okay, Diane, so tell us where we can connect. So uh, my website is dianedokokin.com. That's D-I-A-N-E-D-O-K-K-O-K-I-N.com. And that website is where you can also do a search for the help wish list for the help us help you. And uh, you can also find links to my book there. And it's Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for the Special Needs Parent. And uh, on the website, and I'm actually really excited about this, you can actually download an extended preview that includes that chapter, chapter 18, about compassion and walking with families affected by disability. And it also includes a chapter about spiritual IEPs. So I know that families like ours, you know, money's tight because it goes to therapy and a hundred thousand other things. So I work with my publisher to give a really extensive freebie. So you can check it out for yourself or check it out before buying it for somebody else. So uh, my heart is to really um, strengthen and encourage families and also the blessed first responders that God has brought into our lives to do life with for the long haul because we need each other. Yeah, that's so true. You really are especially good at helping others help us like being able to articulate things that we may not even be able to articulate you're able to do that and then draw in those first responders as you call them to say here's here's what what would really bless a family like mine even if that family can't articulate what it is that would be a blessing to them so it's such a sweet sweet gift that you have So as I talked about in the beginning, this episode is sponsored by Rising Above Ministries. They exist to bring the love of God and hope in Christ to special needs families all over the world. Isn't that a benefit of this COVID year? Like things that used to only happen in one spot are now online and we all get to participate. So you may remember their event for moms that uh, I participated in this summer by the brook. It was such a blessing. And so they are hosting a free event for dads called Extraordinary Legacy. And it is this Friday, if you're listening in real time, the week that this episode releases, it's this Friday, November 20th at 7 p.m. Central. Extraordinary Legacy is a father-focused one-night event intended to support and encourage special needs dads. Together, the guys relate about the challenges and adventures unique to this life. They will leave feeling renewed, committed, and with fresh momentum to be the men God intended them to be. So you can sign up for this free virtual event on their website, risingaboveministries.org. You can find a full list of their events under the events tab. That's risingaboveministries.org. I know you don't want to miss it and you can sign up your husband for that. And that will really help him (laughs) be in the right frame of mind and encouraged as we all hit what could be some challenging times in this Christmas and Thanksgiving season. So thank you again, Diane, for being with us. It's, it's been such a blessing. Um, it's so fun to have an excuse to get to talk to you today <laughs> and to be able to uh, see your face on Zoom. Now, I've mentioned this before, but my Patreon community gets to watch a video of Diane and me talking and not just hear the audio. And so you could see uh, all of our facial expressions, maybe even uh, a little bit of unedited stuff that doesn't make the podcast it does make the patreon feed and so if you're interested in that you can go to patreon.com sandra peoples and you'll find all of the other bonuses that you get from being a patreon supporter so diane thank you again for being thank here you. thank you sandra okay